It is the 200 level. Mike Carpenter here from the basement for episode 79. We'll just call this Jeremy Warner. He's our guest today. So the cool thing about the interview setup we have is that we can start to get old friends back on the show. Of course, we've had Trevor and Harry. We had Steve Greenberg as well. I'm working on a few other interviews. Oh, Isaac Ambrose, of course. So we got the usual suspects, right, with the occasional interview, so to speak. And Jeremy and I, I think the last time we talked in an extended conversation would have been back in September where I got Lon and Jeremy to come in on, I think, a Monday afternoon. I was off school. Jeremy would have just gotten done covering a Lovey Smith press conference, and Lon was hanging out, so we came down here for about an hour. But this extended conversation we had was on Wednesday afternoon. So as I sit here on Thursday morning, keep in mind, some big news came across the wire. Io DeSumo is going pro. And while it is not 100%, it looks like it's about 99%. Uh, every word that he used in that announcement indicates that even though he doesn't have an agent right now, he's going. We'll talk about that. Uh, a lot to unpack and a lot of ramifications. But the good thing is the conversation that I had with Jeremy didn't age necessarily because a lot of the personnel things that we were talking about, the what ifs, were contingent on IO maybe coming back or not coming back. So we address both of those. It's still timely. And we get into just the sort of conversation that we would have had back at 93.5 when Jeremy would come down during the day before he started doing the show remotely. He'd be down every day and he would go into the studio and usually let's say one o'clock, 1.15 or something, I'd pop down there from my office and we just talk for a while. And oftentimes about sports, as you're going to hear here, oftentimes about things not to do with sports, so music and movies and just life stuff. So really enjoyed this conversation. It was initially going to be about 30, 40 minutes knowing how this podcast usually runs, we tend to go long. And uh, this one, though, like many conversations that I've had with Jeremy, did not feel belabored or that we were just talking for the sake of talking. It just kind of took its natural course. And that is what we will attempt to bring to you every week, twice a week, whether it be me, Trevor, and Harry for these upcoming Last Dance documentary reactions that will begin next Monday, or a rotating uh, cast of characters, so to speak. So we are... Starting to find our quarantine groove, if such a thing exists, and I enjoy coming down here, whether it be solo or talking to somebody, but certainly the conversational part of it is a lot more engaging. Before we get into this Io DeSumo conversation, a lot to unpack there, good news, bad news situation, of course. Gotta remind you that we are brought to you by DPDO online at dpdo.com for all the best deals and prices, and here's the key. In this shelter-in-place, stay-at-home order, they will bring it to you. If you live in Champaign-Urbana, they deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. And again, the full menu online at dpdo.com for all the best deals and prices, dpdo.com. Also, 4th and Kirby online at 4th and Kirby.com. Coupon code 200 level or the 200 level. You'll get 10% off your order at 4th and And believe it or not, warm weather is approaching. You will need t-shirts and why not get your Illini vintage Illini t-shirts at 4th and Also State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. Life, auto, home, business, renters, you name it. They are insurance experts and they're all locally born and raised products of Champaign-Urbana. So they have your local interest at heart. That is brianismyguy.com for State Farm agent Brian Hansen. Alana Inquirer and, of course, Jeremy Warner, who appeared on this podcast and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network. Got to thank them as well. And now that we got the particulars out of the way, Io DeSumo. Now, as Jeremy and I were recording this yesterday about 2 o'clock, Wednesday afternoon, we cover both bases if Io comes back, if he doesn't. 
and we talk about all the different ramifications of what this roster looks like with or without Io. It's after dinner last night, or right around dinner time, where I get on Twitter, and then you start to see this proliferation of a tweet that Io had sent out, and it was just a two-minute video, and the still was, I think, of a young Io DeSumo on his phone. All I saw. You know, the tweet itself didn't say, I'm going pro. So I know with dinner coming up that I don't necessarily have time to watch this video and I very quickly scan it for reactions from people and I see best of luck Io good luck Io thanks for everything which clues me in on well he's going pro not that this is a surprise though as time it went on I couldn't help but get this feeling that the longer this goes kind of like a jury deliberation why are they taking so long maybe it's going to come back not guilty I'm thinking well the longer this goes on maybe the better chance there is that he says there is more risk than ever with everything going on in life, the fact that some draft boards don't even have him in the draft, which I think is probably a bit silly, that he would say, you know what, I'm coming back. Well, he didn't. And unlike the Kofi thing, where I had just assumed Kofi was coming back, I think I immediately reverted back to my mindset going into this basketball season, that this was the last time we'd have Iowa on the court, and hopefully it pays dividends. So my initial reaction was not a gut punch or anything like that. It wasn't the, ah, crap like Kofi. It was, all right, that sounds right. And more than that, it was appreciative of the two years that Io had here, but namely the last two and a half months. And if you think about Io's career at Illinois, go back to his freshman year. Non-conference, you saw flashes. It was certainly in the middle of Big Ten play his freshman year where you started to turn around and say, well, this guy's pretty special and maybe next year it will be pretty good as long as Io continues to progress. The beginning of this year, I was fine. You know, certainly not the issue with this team. But the team itself was not in disarray, but it was disjointed for the first two months of the season leading up to that Purdue game at home in early January, which was the first indicator that maybe things had turned around. You had signs of that at Maryland where you should have won. You had the Michigan game at home, which you did win. But other than that, November, December were pretty nondescript. And they didn't really lead you to believe that this team could be one game out of the Big Ten title race. But I, oh man, when he turned it on, he turned it on. And the last two and a half months of his career at Illinois are special and worthy of being talked about in terms of great Illini players. I know we only got two years of it. I have a mention with Jeremy in this conversation about how Frank Williams, he came back for his junior year. He didn't have to. And I remember how excited I was and really any Illini fan. We thought, well, this year coming up will be the year. Frank's junior year, they were pretty good. Won another Big Ten title. They got a four seed in the tournament. They lost to Kansas in the Sweet 16. But the expectations were so sky high that it felt like a minor disappointment. Final four or bust. As fair or unfair as that may have been. And Frank, the last image that we had of Frank was that game against Kansas in the 2002 Sweet 16, which was not a very good picture. It was a pretty rough game for Frank. Well, you have all these possibilities that Io comes back. The expectations are crazy, and we don't meet those expectations, and therefore you have a minor disappointment. So, again, reverting back to best-case scenario, optimistic carp, right? Trying to find the best of a not-so-good situation. Because let's be real, losing Io, that's not good. There's no guarantee that coming back his junior year, things would have just been rosy from the start and you have an amazing season. I think the likelihood was probably there that it'd be a good team, but the expectations would be sky high. And who knows how much more Io could prove at this level? Would he have five or six individual moments like he just did? Think about that run. You are not going to get a two, two and a half month stretch 
where a player continues to win you that many games in that many clutch situations like Io did this year. So if I can wrap it in a bow and say, wow, what a crazy run that was, however brief it was, that's fine. That's what I'm going to do with Io's career, is wrap it up in a bow and say, well, look at what he did. He brought you back to relevancy. He likely helped deliver a guy like Adam Miller and maybe began this Mac Irvin pipeline. He made it cool to come to Illinois again. All those things that you hope for from a Pied Piper-esque recruit. D. Brown, similar situation. Mark Smith, obviously that didn't pan out. I mean, it's hit or miss. These guys that you get really excited about. And Io was one of those guys that every Illini fan got excited about for good reason. When he made the announcement and said he's coming to Illinois, we were super pumped. And here we are. That was October 2017. Now we're in March 2020 and feeling pretty good about where Illinois basketball is going. Regardless of if Kofi comes back or not, it does seem like there is a sustainable path forward for Brad Underwood. And that is something that I could not have envisioned really even back in November and December. But Io's performance on the court, coupled with what seems like a plan from the coaching staff, gives me a pretty solid feeling about how this program is going to trend, its trajectory going forward. It gives me hope that even when you lose a guy like Io, that, oh, guess what? You got an Andre Crabello and an Adam Miller waiting there in the wings. That is a far cry from the tail end of the Weber era, or really the majority of the Weber era when you talk about recruiting, and the John Gross era. We're losing one guy would be debilitating. Season over. Well, you aren't in that situation anymore. Yeah, it sucks losing Allen. I really wish he was still here. But you do have the two-wing transfers that hopefully will match that production offensively. And maybe on the ball defenders, they'll be able to hold up their end as well. You lose Kofi, certainly that's going to hurt you and put you firmly on bubble team category. But if you get, if you get Kofi back, you're making the tournament. And I don't think that's hyperbole. That's how good Kofi is. And I think when all the dust settles, you would still see Kofi back here at Illinois. And then in the backcourt, well, you got a senior, Trent Frazier. Great. You got DeMonte, another senior. And you got Andre Crabello and Adam Miller. Now we're waiting here with bated breath for Adam Miller to sign. Who knows? By the time this podcast comes out, maybe he will have signed. Maybe he's still waiting. Maybe the uncertainty of, well, Io might come back or, well, COVID-19 of all things that bring uncertainty to our lives. There might be a lot of reasons he's not signing, as puzzling as it is, so I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole of, well, why isn't he signing? I just don't have it in me to freak out about it. I, I assume that he will be here next year, and he will be an immediate impact player and another special recruit that Underwood has gotten into this program. But that's just a far cry from where you had been for the last decade. One guy leaves, you're screwed right? Uh, you didn't have the roster building. You didn't have this sort of tiered approach that Underwood has had where if you lose a piece or two, you got guys in the wings ready to go. Not even developmental pieces, but guys ready to go. So this is where I think Io's legacy goes beyond what he did on the court. And I'm hoping that as we look back on Io 10 years from now, we firmly say he was the first, sort of like we would with maybe Eddie Johnson in the Lou Henson era. What Eddie Johnson and Mark Smith were to Lou Henson, maybe that's what Io and Kofi were to Brad Underwood, and so begins a long, sustained period of success. It could happen. It could happen. And that would be one incredible legacy. Two years on the court, that's all. But also think about those individual moments that I referenced, whether it be the three-pointer to go up four points at Wisconsin. Very Jordan-esque, too. The crossover, he gets the Wisconsin guy. Was that Davison? To basically stumble over himself. You had a closing moment against Northwestern, of course. 
There's the Michigan game, which may be the signature moment. There's the Penn State game a week after he got gotten hurt against Michigan State, where he goes to his left just after Chambers had said, hey, force him to go left. You also have the Indiana game where he got a late shot. You had the Iowa game that before Kofi got the block, it was Iowa that gave you the lead again. So what a stretch and what a two-year career where the ramifications of what he did will probably be felt long after he is gone. And on top of that, and I usually don't go down this rabbit hole because for me, when I watch sports, I, I do a little bit of detachment. Certainly, these are people on the court, and a lot of them do have interesting human stories. But I always get uncomfortable when journalists, the Andy Katzes of the world, just get so warm and fuzzy about these young athletes, and they sort of turn them into heroes, even though they may just be dudes, you know? And I, I look at Io, though, and think, okay, if you are in the business of trying to find role models in athletics, however young they may be, right? And Io, I think, is a 20-year-old. He looks to be one of them. The way that he carries himself on and off the court, he says all the right things. He continually defers to his teammates and heaps praise upon them. He is really impressive in how polished he is at this young age. And when we talk about the NBA and what they look for in these players, he has some of those measurables for sure. He also is not the best shooter in the world. We know that. Maybe there's a reason that he's not a surefire first-round pick. But when it comes to those intangible qualities on and off the court, it seems like he has that it factor. And he cultivated his own personality. When I think about my favorite Illini guys, right? When I think about the early 2000s teams, teams full of personality, right? You had Frank, who, well, come on, he was cold-blooded. You had Corey Bradford, who was just as hard-nosed as they came. You had all the front court guys and their shenanigans with Demir and Lucas and Arch all these personalities that made it that much easier to love that team. 0405 goes without saying. Personalities across the board. Well, Io had a personality, and it sort of bled into the rest of this team. There was a swagger about this team that we'll look back on fondly, where no, they were not the prettiest team. They were not the most well-put-together team. They had holes. They would fall into these offensive slumps that could be maddening, and yet they, for the most part, got the job done. A game out of winning the Big Ten title. What I would give for one of those games to flip. But really, they earned that 13-7 and record in the conference. There was no luck involved with it. And that coming after a non-conference where they were still figuring themselves out. And maybe Io himself was still figuring out, well, what is my role on this team? Certainly leader. But I think in November and December, we didn't look at Io the same way that we did in March. That leadership that he had might have been less about, well, rah-rah, in the huddle, I'm going to give you a pep talk. But more hey, I'm the guy, I'm the killer on this court that when you need a shot, I'm going to get it done. And as much as us fans believed it, I got to think that the other players on the court knew that when it came down to it, Iowa was going to get the job done. That is a rare thing to have. And when I think about comparables to Io and the history of Illini basketball, and of course my experience with it is limited compared to others, my first memories are early 90s, it would be Frank. And I think about how Frank's legacy has sort of grown over the years. And I continue to go back to Frank sometimes before I even do D or Darren. I mean, we know what the 0405 team was. Luther, D, Darren, amazing team with Roger and James and you had Ingram off the bench, even McBride getting some important minutes. And that team was what it was. We know that, just like the 88-89 team. But sometimes you go to that next year and you start to find the guys that were just as deserving of a Final Four banner and all the accolades that come with it. Frank, to me, is the first one I think of when you say, well, who does Io remind you of? And as his legacy grows, I think it will be that of someone who was not the best shooter in the world, 
who was not necessarily unorthodox, but really won because he was just a swaggering badass on the court, just like Frank. That, I think, will be the legacy of Iodasumu, one that I'm excited to see younger guys on Twitter. You know, Isaac and Trevor's age. Io's their guy. I've had plenty of my guys as an Illini basketball fan, whether it be Deion Thomas when I was younger, Kwan Garris, Frank Williams, Corey Bradford, and then, of course, D.E. Darren in that stretch. But these 20-year-old, 20, 21, 22, they didn't have an Illini guy. They had Malcolm Hill, which Malcolm is a great Illini all-time, but unfortunately, he didn't have the benefit of a tournament team around him. Io is finally, they have a guy. And they didn't have that. They, they probably had the same frustration that I do about not being able to remember the 88-89 team. You're 20, 21, 22. You would have been pretty young when that Final Four team happened. And you might have been a baby during the early 2000s stretch with Frank and Corey. You wouldn't remember that. They got their guy. And that is important. When we look further down the road, and maybe when you start getting vintage Illini jerseys made, you're going to see Io DeSumo jerseys. And... That legacy and that myth is only going to continue to grow if Brad Underwood can hold up his end of the bargain, make tournaments consistently, because that's really what it's about here. It's not about winning Big Ten tournament or a Big Ten title after Big Ten title. You know, we have a decent amount of them, but really in the history of Illini basketball, you're winning a Big Ten title every seven, eight years. I mean, I'd have to see what the average is, maybe once a decade. And really, Lou Henson only got one of them while he was here. But what a program that he had, all based on the fact of just making tournaments year in, year out, top four finishes in the Big Ten. We look at what he did, and I look at what Underwood could do. There's no reason that you can't, especially with what I view as an opportunity in this conference, whether it be the fact that, well, Tom Izzo can't stay there forever. There is uncertainty with Michigan. Ohio State, as much as Chris Holtman looks to be a very good coach, you're seeing attrition from his most recent class, and you're wondering, well, is something going on there? And that as you continue to go down the list, yes, there's Wisconsin and Gray Guard. I don't see this as some sort of renaissance period for Big Ten basketball. I do see it as an opportunity for Illinois to firmly plant their flag and say, we are a top four team in this conference for the foreseeable future. Regardless if Miller came to, no, if Io comes back, you're planting that flag as a top two Big Ten team next year. I mean, you would be right there for a Big Ten title. So maybe that's off the table. Maybe that's off the table. But for longevity and sustainability, if you do get an Adam Miller in here, which I suspect you will, especially now, then you will continue this process, right? It isn't about winning one Big Ten title and then chasing that high for the next three, four years. It is really about getting back to that level where you know Illinois is in the tournament. You don't need to sweat that out. And then as you continue to build things, you begin to consistently compete for those Big Ten titles. It's right there. They're on the cusp. So the news of Io leaving, for selfish reasons, it stinks. I wanted to see him in an Illinois uniform for one more year. We don't get that pleasure, but we certainly have more than enough memories of Io DeSumo on the court. We'll be able to keep those and then enjoy this process of getting new blood in here and continuing to build a lineage of really good players. Io, Kofi, Crabello, Adam Miller, and hopefully that list will continue to go on. I really like the inroads that the staff already seems to be making in 2021, whether it be like Luke Good, that shooting guard, four-star shooting guard, white kid that looks like he belongs on Iowa or Wisconsin. We might get our own. We might get our own white sharpshooter who bothers every other team, but he's our guy. Plus, he's got like orange-reddish hair, so it seems perfect, right? But they seem to be making inroads early on these guys, targeting who they think will work. 
and getting mixed up in recruitments that while John Gross would get mixed up in these, there wasn't much faith that he would close. And I feel bad for that because John Gross is probably one or two guys away from solidifying himself as your coach for all his flaws. He was probably a guy or two away or a Quentin Snyder away, to be honest, from still being the Illini coach. And he's doing pretty well over at Akron. I think he's probably a solid coach. But you are seeing an ability from this staff to close in on guys, identify them early and close in on them, and build a roster where you are not dreading, "Uh uh-oh, in two years we're losing everybody. What are we going to do? No, it's just college basketball, one of those things that you got to replace players and you need to replace them regularly, more so now than ever, with transferring becoming... The chic thing to do. Everybody's transferring. Well, you need to have a really strong roster built around that to withstand those losses. They have that. You get Adam Miller in here, which I suspect will happen hopefully soon. Maybe you get Kofi back as well. And who knows what other roster things are going to happen. As we sit here in mid-April, I can't even begin to presume what the roster, the final roster is going to look like, or if the games are even going to be played in November. Jeremy and I talk a little bit about that as well. I mean, who knows? We don't know. But I have more faith in this staff to be able to put out a tournament roster than I have in a long time as a Lanai basketball fan. So Io, thank you. Amazing two-year career, but more specifically, an amazing two-month run that brought Illinois basketball back to the forefront. And will we stay there? I think so. I think so. Okay, got to thank, of course, DP Doe, State Farm Agent Brian Hansen, Fourth and Kirby, Alana Inquirer, Champion Showers Podcast Network. We got a conversation here with Jeremy Warner that was a lot of fun. It's about an hour, 10 minutes or so. And we get into all the roster personnel stuff for Illini basketball. This was pre-IO announcement. But I think the conversation still holds up because we talk about both scenarios, whether he would or would not come back. We get into Illini football, and I asked Jeremy to convince me that this is a team worth getting excited for because I just don't have it in me right now. And we get into other sports conversations in general because as we sit here, easy enough for me to come down and to do two podcasts a week. But Jeremy and the guys at Lana Inquirer, they're doing sh- stories daily. They're finding new content to write about. And as Jeremy talks about, he's just trying to stay as busy as he can. That is his way to kind of cope with the, the shelter in place and stay at home stuff, just like it is for me working on my album or coming down here and doing this podcast in addition to the stuff I do for school. But it was a great and wide-ranging conversation with Jeremy Warner. So let's get to it. It is the 200 level. All right, so Jeremy, finally, after all this time, you have an NCAA tournament, Illini basketball team, and then you don't. And I was thinking when that all unfolded, it's easy enough for me as a fan. You know, it sucks, certainly, but I didn't put the extra hours in. I could watch the games and move on if I wanted to, but you get to cover all these sports. And for the last decade, it's been so, well, mediocre is a kind word sometimes. And then you get that opportunity to go to an NCAA tournament taken away from you. So for selfish reasons, that has to suck. Well, we always say in our business, Carp, like I don't root for the team I cover. You root for the story. Um, I can tell you I was rooting for the team I covered here recently because it was a great story. Yeah. And part of that story would have been involved uh, covering an NCAA tournament. So, you know, it started to hit me, you know, when some of this stuff was getting canceled and then the NCAA came out and said, hey, there's going to be no fans. I'm like, man, that's that's going to be weird me covering this and what's it gonna be like to travel with all this over with uh but then when it ended you know i had this moment of like this sucks um 
And and I think I think it probably hit Piper a little bit more. You can ask him, but I, I think he was really bummed about it for a while. But when that all happened, I had about a night where it was just like, I can't believe what's happening. And then that Friday, Saturday, if you know me, Carp, I just kind of turned down to, okay, how do we get through this? What can I can control? How do we get content out? So really the last month, I've been so focused on that that I don't know if I've let it sink in, but there are moments I sit there and go. And I, I think it was really about the final four weekend. Not that I thought Illinois was going to make it to a final four, but I sat there and go, think of what the last month would have been for me. Like I would have been away from my family. I would have been traveling. I would have been at these huge events. I could have covered a, a sweet 16 game. Uh, maybe the last games of Io Sumu, all of that. And I didn't. And that stinks because I was, I was really looking forward to covering something like that. And, and I thought this team was so fun uh, and had so many, great characters, uh, so many great stories on it that, yeah, I mean, it's the least of my concerns in my world right now, but yeah, you're right. I mean, selfishly, it's something I've been looking forward to for a long time. I've, I've covered NCAA tournament teams. I covered one in college, the 0809 team that I thought was so fun. Um, I covered some with radio, but I never actually physically went to an NCAA tournament game. Uh, this would have been the first for Inquire, and I, I certainly went, so yeah, it was, it was a bummer. Was you know, bummer. and there were a couple of things. You mentioned the 0809 team, and certainly in 2012-13. And each of those teams were fun in their own way. But for one, there wasn't that longevity between tournament appearances. And for another, it didn't feel like the ceiling for any of those teams, even the Dimitri McKamey era, uh, let's say 2010-2011, the ceiling was capped. And the thing with this team is I could have envisioned them getting in the first round and laying an egg offensively which they did sometimes this year, and and getting kicked out early. But I could have also pictured them getting into that second weekend and being a dangerous team. So I, my defense mechanism, you say you stayed busy. I immediately took the idea that, well, you won the last game of the year in dramatic fashion against your heated rival. No one else is going to be able to uh, – well, 63 teams in the tournament would have went home disappointed, right? You right. get to end the season on a high note. Now, I know that's a defense mechanism, though. Sure. No, but it's, it's totally true. Like no one seems to leave open the possibility that this could have been Kendall Gill's senior year, right? Where you, where you get into the tournament and, and lose way earlier than you thought that was possible. I mean, they would have played what a, a 11 seed or a 10 seed most likely. Uh, and they were capable of losing because they just couldn't shoot the ball very well. Um, so yeah, I mean, that was definitely a possibility, but you know, the way it ended, we'll always have this what if. And I think that what if for most people is, oh, this team would have been a sweet 16 team. So at least you have that hope or that goal that because we didn't see it, the season and the NCAA tournament were actually better than it could have been. But I do think it did have a defining, now as you look back at a Carpa satisfying ending, even though it was too early, because that Iowa game was so much fun. Uh, it, it was just so much fun. What a rivalry that is. I know you hate them, and that's great. Oh, it's I, amazing. I, I had that in a while, and it's a worthy opponent, right? And and Luke Carza, you might not like because of his eyebrows or whatever, but you respect the hell out of him. <laughs> it's a player. Uh, oh, right? absolutely, so yeah. Easy to hate team, but it's a, it's a team you respect. And to win it on a Kofi block like that was was pretty satisfying as you look back on it. But it just feels like almost like game of thrones carp and that you had these great seasons and then the last chapter uh didn't end the way you wanted it to this one you didn't really get the last chapters but 
uh, Game of Thrones, whatever. And I'm thinking if you that's the idea, though, is if you would have told me that the NCAA tournament would have been like season eight of Game of Thrones, I would have said, you know what, let's just end on the Kofi block. And that atmosphere, because I had been to the mission. Missions... Battle of the Bastards, right? Like, yeah, just, that's just fine. Disappear. And then we'll let our imaginations fill in the rest, which a lot of people did. And there were simulated tournaments that had Illinois making runs. And that's great. But, you know, I'm thinking back. <laughs> and I'm thinking back to that game because I was at Michigan State in Maryland as well. And certainly that was the atmospheres were special, though for the Maryland game, it was in the first 10 minutes of the game. For the Michigan State, it was the second half. But there were moments where that stadium was not fully charged. The Iowa game was two straight hours of on the edge of your seat. I felt at the end, when halftime hit, I thought, I cannot believe that was just one half of play. I was spent. I needed halftime to recharge, and there was this weird sense I had as well walking through the concourse with COVID-19 kind of hovering over, yeah. you know, that, well, what if? And I, I don't know if people treated the game, because treated it like they did because of that, but did you have any sense that Sunday night that, you know, maybe I should enjoy this that much more because it might be a rarity? I, I think at that point, the Ivy League had canceled, right? I think uh, they did pretty, early, yeah. Yeah, and I think most of us are like, you know, uh, is the Ivy League just getting too ahead of itself here? And like, wait, it, really? It's it's that big of a deal. But I think that's the first time where you started to take it really seriously. It's the first time we started to hear from Fauci and people that, hey, wash your hands a lot. So that become part of my life. I wash my hands, wash my kids' hands a little bit more than than possible. Um, but I remember that game, like I went to the bathroom and there was a bunch of us in that little small bathroom in the press area. And I saw Stephen Bardo and I didn't know whether to shake his hand or not. <laughs> and the following day was the Illinois Pro Day. And I just shake hands with a lot of people. It's just what I do. Uh, and, and that day I tried to do a little bit more fist bumping and stuff like that. But I remember I sh shook a few hands. I'm like, wait, I shouldn't have done that. Like it was the first time it was like, I have to change what I think. Uh, so that week, I, you started to feel as part of your life, but I never thought the NCAA tournament uh, would be taken away or the Big Ten tournament would be taken away. So uh, even at that point, yeah, you're start it was starting to be a part of your life, Carp, but I never thought that season's going to be over. No, and for me, the, the moment that I will always look back on as the sort of moment of realization, the where were you when this news came out, it was three days later that Wednesday night, and it was two things from different spheres. You had Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson come out with the news that they had COVID-19. And then, of course, the NBA suspends their season. And then what really freaked me out and I think completely changed the tenor of this thing for me was I'd gotten home from band practice. The Nebraska, whoever they played, Indiana, I think, that game's on. Fred Hoiberg's falling over himself. And I'm thinking, this guy's about to die from this, you know, like... it for some reason that was the moment where it went from just kind of a casual conversation you'd have with someone about, Oh, this COVID-19 thing to, Oh crap. You're right. I mean, Tom Hanks put a face to it. Like, Oh, Tom Hanks can get this. I can get this. Everyone feels sudden. like it's they know just, Tom Hanks. Yeah. It's not just somebody in China like that to, to per, somebody in, you know, central Illinois seems, you know, he obviously is foreign, but like an alien or something like that. Mm -hmm. Right. So just a different world. Well, in this day and age, you can get from China to here and, and so quick. Uh, but then, yeah, I think the Rudy Gobert that night, everything changed. But then the next night is you get, you know, or that night, I believe. Yeah. It was still that night. Fred Hoiberg. Same night, man. Sick as a dog. And it's like, wait, does he have it? And all of a sudden there's this panic about, is he spreading it to everybody? Do they have to shut this entire thing down? What the heck is he doing there? Um, I, I think that's, 
I mean, we, we were talking to people at 24 seven and they're like, Hey, we got these stories ready for if, and most likely when the NCAA cancels the NCAA tournament. And it was just such a whirlwind. I mean, it's a, it's a 24 hour, but really more of like an eight hour period carp that I'll never forget. I think it was Wednesday. Uh, that Wednesday, you're starting to hear the Ivy league canceled mm-hmm. and the NBA. Could they do it without fans? And I called Kent Brown at, at Illinois, the university of Illinois media relations uh, guy. And uh, I said, are you, are you guys doing anything? Are you guys having any discussions? I felt like I finally had to report on this. And he said, well, right now at one PM, I believe it was nothing's changed, but within, you know, 24, 36 hours, everything had changed. Um, it was amazing. That Wednesday I was teaching class as normal. That Thursday morning, we went to school for an in-service thing. We had parent-teacher conferences, which, of course, got moved to teleconferences because we weren't going to engage with a bunch of people. But, you know, you say not even 24 hours so much as eight hours. It really did feel that Wednesday evening changed it. And what's crazy to sit here in mid-April and think about is just the uncertainty about when we'll see any live sports again, period. So you say you've kind of hunkered down, you have focused on your work, and in a way, you got to have tunnel vision and able in order to do that with everything going on elsewhere. But w- what would be your best case scenario? I mean, like how long can you see yourself and, and really, I guess, sports media right. being able to continue to find the hooks and the stories that we need without the games on the field or on the court? Yeah, I found myself um, the last month, Carp, busier than normal, really, Um because there's not kind of a rhythm of, okay, you got this press conference, you do this, you go to this practice, you get this, uh, and then you're done. Uh, it's more like constant, what are story ideas? Who can I talk to? So I think I've tried to, st- I've had to almost work twice as hard to continue to produce content. And in our media industry, because ad revenue is going down, and that's part of what we do. Obviously, subscriptions is a big part of our business model, but we still want to get people to the site and get ad revenue. Um, you have to... Uh, create more content. Uh, you just have to have more quantity. We want to keep quality. We have to keep more content. So we've been actually probably doing more stories per day. I know I have uh, than in the past, but you're right. I mean, it's been a month of that, but if we don't have sports in three months, can I keep doing that? <laughs> right. Right. And and I, I think that is, is very unlikely. I mean, I, I think golf can go. Uh, I think tennis can go. Um, but pulling off, Baseball will be hard. We'll look at Korea and Japan and see how they can do over the next month. But I would say July at the earliest. Um, and then college football is is the big one. I, I think Carp they'll find some way to get college football games in in this fall. I, I don't know if it'll be the fall or spring, yeah, right. right? That, but I don't think anybody knows. Anybody who's sitting there saying like, I think, and I, it's an educated opinion, unless you're a medical professional. Uh, I don't know how. Now, we heard Anthony Fauci say today that without fans, you, you can pull this off if you have testing. Uh, but as you and I know, Carp, we still need to get to that point. <laughs> yeah, it's a little so bit of a problem. To, to the testing point. And what happens when one person on a football team or a basketball team where you have constant contact, even a baseball team, right, uh, test positive? I think the individual sports, golf and tennis, it's a lot easier. Right. You take that person out and make sure everybody's tested. And if they're good, then you, you can continue your event. If it's a team, uh, I just don't know how, how you can pull that off. So um, it's huge for college sports, for, for college football. I mean, the NFL can just delay their season. Right. Um, and, and get going. 
the NBA, I think, is having a hard time getting going. I think the NHL will have a hard time finishing their season. But uh, college football is the main one just because it's it's everybody's purse. I mean, we've seen Cincinnati already cancel or suspend their men's soccer program, right, and, and take away funding for that. Um, if the college football season doesn't happen, you're going to see that in a lot of places. Um, and it's, it's going to hurt Illinois, too. So I have – that's a long-winded answer to say. I have no idea when it'll come back, but I think it'll come back without fans. Um, and I think there's going to be some complications of it because if one person tests positive on a team, what, what's the protocol? I, I don't know what the protocol would be. Right. And uh, if that one person happens to be, we were talking with uh, Isaac Ambrose and I were talking a couple weeks ago, and let's just say it was a basketball game and Io had tested positive. And all of a sudden you enter that game and you are minus your best player. And a lot of teams would be facing situations like that. When I think about college sports in general right now and athletic departments, I can make as many jokes as I want to about Illinois football. They don't draw that well, and you already practice social distancing in the stadium anyway. But the truth of the matter is they are still a profitable program, and they still make a lot of money for the entire athletic program. So even if that money is delayed until the spring, you know it's still a business. I mean, they have their own budget, and I don't know how much they get from the university, but the DIA, I believe, is operating under its own budget. Yeah, and I... I I'm not a finance wizard. Um, my wife handles most of that for me, Carp, but <laughs> just operating on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. Right. I mean, I'm supposed to talk to Whitman here in a couple of days and um, I, I haven't heard what kind of pay cuts they're probably going to have to take across the board. Right. Are, are they going to be able to afford the scholarships for the fall? If they can do any, you know, all those things where you just got to make your budget. Um, I don't know how that will impact them, but you're right. I mean, we can laugh about Illinois attendance, but 40,000 people is a lot of money, right? That, that's a lot of money and a lot more than those basketball games make. Um, and, and the most important part, Carp, and why they got to get some games in, even if it's out fans, is, is that TV revenue. Mm. Um, that, that TV revenue is what's paying for so much of what Illinois has done, even if the attendance has been lower at football. So that Big Ten Network, that Fox Sports, that ESPN money is just so massive for all these programs. And it's why the power five can maybe su- survive without fans that that group of five man they're they're going to be really really hurting here yeah and the unintended consequences of something like this obviously the health part comes first but it does <clears throat> tie in directly to the economic side of it and like you i'm not a financial wizard at all either but it does seem like you know the professional sports are going to be fine they'll be able to make it through even if that means they have a delayed or even suspended season but with college sports i think of the uh, you know eastern Illinois and what Tom Michael has to deal with. And that's a scary situation right there. And especially that university with the financial troubles they've had. And I was going to say even the university level for them. Right? Absolutely. Like that, that's what's scary. Like the university of Illinois will be fine. Uh, Illinois athletics will be fine. Maybe some people hurt, some things change, but those other universities, I, I just think universities more than athletic programs. That, that's where you worry about. You guys have done a good job, even starting with something fun like the players bracket that you had in lieu of an actual you know, NCAA tournament bracket. And that got a lot of engagement and everything. And understandably, because as we've seen with Illini fans voting every Illini moment or previous team through whatever online bracket there is, I mean, the, the response is crazy with that. But I notice that I'm falling into, not a trap so much, but I keep going back to Illinois basketball, to me, seems to still be the most compelling story with the roster and personnel uncertainty. So as we sit here today, today technically is the first day that one could sign in the spring, I believe. One could. One, one could. could. One, yeah. 
And I know that there's a lot of worries. Well, I say worries. The Illini fan base right now, until Adam Miller signs, they're going to be freaked out. But there's another part of me that thinks with the uncertainty of just life in general, I don't. I wouldn't view that the same way I would if there wasn't a pandemic. I'd be freaking out if there was no pandemic. Because there is, I'm saying, you know what? Why would anybody sign anything right now? Yeah, I mean... I guess that's a good way of putting it in perspective, but the sports worry, I guess, uh, a lot of fans are conditioned to worry. And I understand that Um, everything Adam Miller has done and said to this point suggests he's going to end up at Illinois. Um, I don't know why he hasn't signed. Uh, uh, It's weird. If you're all in on Illinois, why not sign? Maybe he's waiting for IO. Maybe he just wants to, uh, you know, get through this pandemic and see what his options are. Or I, I, I don't know. He hasn't talked to me. He hasn't talked to Derek. He hasn't talked to any of really anybody in the media. Um, so I'm not sure exactly what he's thinking, but I do know Illinois seems confident that, that he's going to end up at Illinois. And the fact that he's, you know, recruiting his teammate, Brandon Weston, the fact that he's been to campus several times uh, suggests that he's going to be here. But if he does depend on IO, if that's what he's waiting for, and Io has to make a decision on whether he declares for the NBA draft uh, by April 26th, uh, then that would be a positive. If you lose Adam Miller because Io DeSumo comes back for a junior season, um, listen, Io DeSumo's junior season is probably more valuable than Adam Miller's first two seasons at Illinois, mm-hmm. right? So, like, if, if that's what it came down to, I don't know if it will. I think Adam Miller comes here regardless. That would be a very good positive for Illinois. But I do think there's, there's because there's other uncertainty, because Kofi and Io are going to determine, their decisions are going to determine what happens in 2020, 2021, um, how good you're going to be, whether it's Big Ten title contender or you're fighting for an NCAA tournament bid. But Adam Miller, if you set him with Andre Corbello, um, boy, that's a long-term card. I mean, that's the best duo you've had in a long time coming in at the same time. Um, you know, Malcolm and Kendrick were really, really good, but you probably got to go back to Brandon Paul and DJ Richardson or, you know, Darren and D uh, before you had guards who were that good together. So um, I think he'll end up at Illinois, but I certainly don't have any idea of what I was going to do at this point. Um, I'm surprised he's not as a lock of an NBA draft pick. I'd take him in the second round. Uh, Kofi, I think needs to come back. I, I, I don't know if it's in his, uh, head that he's definitely going to go and he's going to be drafted because that certainly hasn't been the case that's been told to me by people who interact with NBA people. So yeah, there is a lot of uncertainty and that's, that's led to a lot of easy content, some good content and, uh, some thought process, but, uh, it certainly is top of mind right now. It's at least given us something to write about and think about. Yeah, the Kofi news came out, and initial reaction was a gut punch, of course. And the way that the wording was on that Instagram post that he had, it seemed final in a way. But again, you know, even now, if, if you do hire an agent, it's not the end-all, be-all. And he would have, I think, until June something to... June and, yeah. and even with that, I mean, this could all get pushed back even further. So that's why these stories that totally would have got me fired up a year or two, two years ago. I still find them compelling, but I don't, I, I'm not resorting to worst case scenario. And that's even after the surprise departure of an Alan Griffin and, and then Kofi's out of seemingly out of left field announcement. Yeah. But I, I do think Carp, like, I don't know if I have more of a sense of calm because I sit there and go, you know what Brad Underwood's doing is, is pretty sustainable. Like even if say you lose Iowa and Kofi, right. You might be a bubble team next year. But you know you have Andre Corbello for probably four years. And the comp I keep using is Cassius Winston. I think he's that kind of player. 
Think about that. You have that for four years. Uh, Adam Miller reminds me of Jordan Poole. You could have that for two or three years on your team. And I, I know people, Georgie, the stock is down, but I think he's going to be a good player. Trent Frazier for another year. You've added transfers. Um, you have more guys that are on the way. And all of a sudden, you're just in recruiting battles um, that I'm really encouraged about. And I think Brad Underwood showed, especially with the addition of Gentry, the, the changes that he's made uh, with the system. I mean, he's he's going to give you advantages, X's and O's wise, right? It's, it's something, and I, I liked John Gross, okay? Personally, I really like John. Sure. But you never went into a game thinking you had that kind of edge. And then you also just struggled to get the talent you needed. The fact that he can give you an edge in X's and O's on, on certain nights and certain nights he won't, but you're also getting the talent because he's got the assistance around him. I think this is long-term a, a really good stable program, but if you can get one or two of those guys back on top of what you got coming in, uh, you could, you could blow the roof off and, and maybe you could set yourself up to where, you're one of the elite teams in the Big Ten. I agree on the sustainability of it and that coaching staff and the continuity that he seems to have established there for the you know next few years at least. That is a very encouraging to me. Also, it strikes me as when I look at an Antigua and I know that he had a not-so-good stint as a head coach, but I could see him getting another head coaching gig. Gentry seems to be highly respected in circles. I want to get back to that point where your coaching staff you build a coaching tree. And the last guy to really have that here would have been Bill Self when it was Norm Roberts, Billy Gillespie, even though, well, that didn't go so well. But still, you had guys that other people wanted. Yeah, absolutely. So um, one final thing about basketball, and this may be completely unrelated, total red herring argument, but when Alan Griffin transferred, and I owe this news goes and goes, and we're still waiting, we're waiting. I was thinking to myself, well, this can't hurt the prospects of even if Io comes back, Adam Miller looks at the minutes that might have gone to an Alan Griffin and sees that he would still be a 25-minute-per-game sort of guy. But that may be neither here nor there. I, I don't know if that thought process, though, would come to the equation no, I, or not. I, I look at that as if I'm Adam Miller and Io comes back, I think Io helps me, right? Like he's, He makes people around him like Curbelo better. Right. So I, yeah, he's going to score more. He's going to have the ball in his hands more, but Andre's voice is gone. And I think we all assume Andre Corbello will fill that role, but I mean, I'm not expecting Andre Corbello to kind of match senior year. Andre's Felice is a freshman. Uh, I think he'll be good. I think he'll uh, help you right away, but Adam Miller. Yeah. I think you're right. That's the role I have pegged out for him. It's not to replace Io Desumu, It's to replace Alan Griffin's role which is shooter, energy off the bench, athleticism off the bench. So even though Allen's a little bit longer, a little taller, I think they have similar games. I think if he bought into that as a freshman of being the guy off the bench, but being a high usage guy off the bench, you said 25, I mean, 20 minutes where you're going to get, you know, eight to 10 shots a game. Um, he fits right in. They need shooting. Uh, and he, he's got the role next to two guards, possibly in Io and Andre Cabello and even Trent Frazier, uh, who passed the ball pretty well. In this day and age, I got to go best case scenario. So let's picture this. Dare to dream. Dare, Dare to dream. dream. Dare to dream. Iowa and Kofi come back. Ooh. And Adam Miller sticks. Yeah. I look at Trent Frazier as someone, the fact that he will, I'm presuming, will not have to run point as much this year with Corbello probably getting that starting spot right away. And I could see Trent Frazier having a really strong senior year. But that team, with everybody coming back and Miller and Corbello and uh, well, Hutcherson and Grandison as well, which we'll see what we get from them. But that's a lot of depth. That's a long, lean, athletic team. That's a Big Ten title team right there. I was about to say, that that's, that's Big Ten championship. I don't, I don't know if they'll win it, but 
that's a Big Ten championship team. Um, they won 13 games this year, right? They finished one game, one game out, out, out of first place. Uh, you know, I think we're overlooking Michigan State again. I think they're going to be really good. Uh, Wisconsin will be good because they're Wisconsin again. Good for Greg Gard. Uh, Iowa's going to be good, but let's be honest. As good as they are, um, they don't play defense. No, they, st- no, they no, still no, no. don't play defense. So that's still a, a thing that kind of holds me back from saying, "Oh yeah, national championship contender." Though they have the best player in, in the in the Big Ten, maybe in the country, in, in Luca Garza, but he doesn't play defense either. So I, I think Illinois could go in as yeah, I'd have them one or two. Uh, in the Big Ten. I, I think I'd have them above Wisconsin because they're more talented. Uh, I think I'd have them above Iowa because I think they're a better defensive team. And I think they have the best player in the Big Ten. And maybe two of the three best players in the Big Ten, right? And Iowa, Sumu Kofi, and you put Luka Garza into that. So, yeah, they have that carp. That's the deepest team. That's the most talented team. It's the most experienced team. Uh, that would be, I mean, what? Frank Williams' junior year level expectations? Yes, that, that would be the best example because I know 04 and 05, that team was top 10 going in, but it was within the first month of the season that all of a sudden everyone's looking at each other thinking, whoa, well, we knew they'd be good, but not this good. It was really that junior year for Frank where I remember the, um, what is it? Well, they had Midnight Madness at Huff Hall and everybody packed that place assuming this was a Final Four team and they still won a Big Ten title. They still made a Sweet 16, but that was the last time. I mean, that was actually disappointing when they lost to Kansas in the Sweet 16, it felt like they had underachieved. But that's a team I would expect most of the year to be ranked in the top 15. Yeah, agreed. Whether it's two or whether it's 13, I think that's a team we can talk about going into next year that, yeah, this is a legit Big Ten title and their best chance at a Final Four in 15 years. For Illinois football, uh, some win projections have kind of come out. It looks like right around five, four and a half. And, and I get that to an extent because of the way last season ended. Uh, You do have enough guys coming back offensively where it feels like you're going to put up some points this year. But defensively, especially on the line, is, to me, the glaring concern. But let's start, again, best-case scenario. If you were to talk me into this being a repeat bowl team, getting back to that six wins, the schedule certainly could be favorable, though schedules can... The game that you thought you would win before the season can easily change a a few weeks in. But what is it about this team that would make the argument they could make a second consecutive bowl game? They're old and they have NFL players. It's been a while, right? I mean, the last couple of years, I feel like Carp, and I understand some, especially after losing three in a row last year, right, to end the year, left a bad taste in your mouth. Yeah. If you, if you would have finished uh, eight and five or even seven and six, I, I think people would feel, yeah, no, no doubt you know, bowl team, but you lost to Northwestern when they were at their worst. You lost to a Cal team. That was fine. Right. There, there wasn't anything special though. Um, that Iowa game, I actually was encouraged by because you, you made mistakes, but you, I mean, you beat them in the trenches, which was so impressive to me. Um, but they had a lot of injuries at the end of the year. I'm not trying to make excuses, but I feel like Illinois fans are a little bit underrating their talent level. Um, because this is by far the most talented team I've covered since Zook's probably second to last year. Wow. Uh, maybe his last year uh, with, with Merciless. Yeah, probably his last year there. Okay. Um, so I, I would probably say it's the most talented team since then. Listen, I think you got three NFL offensive linemen. I think Josh and Bebe can play in the NFL. Um, Brandon Peters is your best quarterback you've had since Shieldhouse. I, I think running back, you're still deep at. So I, I do think offensively you're going to score points. And if you don't, you got questions about Rod Smith, but I, I think Rod Smith is, is a decent coach and I think he'll find a way to make it work. Um, 
you, and also Luke Ford comes in with, with Daniel Barker. Sure. I like Chase Brown. Defensively, I have huge concerns about the defensive line, but you do have a lot of bodies there. I expect them to add another transfer there. But the back seven is pretty dang talented. Uh, Jake Hansen, I think, is going to have a chance at the NFL. And, you know, we kind of overlook him because he missed the last four games, but he only had, what, seven forced fumbles and, you know, an uh, interception as well. Uh, Milo Eifler, I think, is going to have a chance at the NFL. Nate Hobbs, everyone knows I'm high on him. Uh, Tony Adams back there. Marquez Beeson comes back. Sidney Brown comes back. So, yeah, I get why people – have questions like right now, Carp, I'd probably pick them at six um, just because you got the questions of Illinois football, but I, I don't think Illinois fans should feel any different going into this season than Purdue or Nebraska fans. I, I feel like people immediately put those programs in front of Illinois and I go, why? <laughs> because I, I look at the talent level and even though Illinois is not the top of these recruiting rankings, um, the transfers they've gotten and you know the development of some of these guys they've had, they have as many NFL prospects as some of those programs. Now, Rondale, they don't have that guy. They don't have George Karloftis. Um, but I, I do think that Illinois underrates its talent a little bit. Their fan base does. And I do think a little bit of the recruiting not going well right now in 2021, where you don't have – I think that's bled into expectations oh, about absolutely. this team. Yeah. I think, I think they have one of the best offensive lines in the Big Ten. I think they have a middle-tier quarterback in the Big Ten. I think they have good running backs. If, if healthy, their wide receivers will be good. And I think their back seven is probably middle tier in the Big Ten. So to me, that, that's a bold team with the schedule that they have. Uh, Lovey's really high on this team. Um, I know they have some question marks going in, but I also think this is their best roster. So if they don't get to a bowl game, I, I think it's really disappointing. And I'd have huge questions about the Lovey Smith era moving forward. Well, and I think there's two points to that. First, if the Lovey Smith era moving forward, if they don't make a bowl game, is I'm thinking, okay, given this is where COVID-19 comes back in and the finances, where sure, I know that the buyout isn't extravagant, but it's still something. And it just seems like you would be less apt to make a move given all the circumstances financially. And the second thing to piggyback off of that would be a question is, is it kind of a boomer bust year? Meaning knowing what lies ahead in 2021 and all the guys that you will be losing, uh, whether it be seniors or maybe some guys that will make that jump. And you couple that 2021 class with that and the lack of really bringing in four year guys from high school, which, uh, you know, the transfers are great and they certainly struck on those last year. I, I just, where I see sustainability in basketball, I'm having a harder time viewing that after this roster and all the upheaval after 2020. Yeah. I actually like some of the prospects they've been getting out of high school. Um, but yeah, they're just compared to the rest of the Big Ten. I mean, compared to Illinois' recent history under Beckman and and really the last two Zook classes were not good. And I no, don't know if people no. remember that, but they were bad. Um, and then Beckman obviously could not recruit at that level. And when he did have a good class, he told the media to be more positive about it. I remember um, that. His four and 20 program or whatever. It was. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think there are questions about, yeah, Lovey got us. I think Lovey's gotten this roster from point A to point B, right? Now, can he take it from point B to point C of what we've seen with James Franklin, right? I feel like Bill O'Brien took that program to where it should have been in a dumpster fire, right? And a lot of people thought it should have been, but he got it to point B to where that was a hell of a coaching job by him. But Franklin's just taking it to another level. Is Lovey your guy to do that? And I still think there are questions about that. I think Beeson's going to be great. I think, uh, you know, some of the transfers you got obviously are great. And I think that's a really kind of money ball approach that they've brought to this roster building. 
But Isaiah Williams, all those guys, Keith Randolph, Seth Coleman, all high ceilings, but they got to develop those guys. And I have huge questions at offensive line, wide receiver. I do think he recruits defenders pretty well and finds good defenders. Uh, but quarterback and, and all that, I, I still think there are big questions about, yeah, how sustainable is this? When you see the rest of the Big Ten and, and Purdue doing what it did immediately, you know Northwestern's not going to go away under Pat Fitzgerald. Scott Frost has a high ceiling. P.J. Fleck, man, you can hate him, but – all he does is win. All he does is win in Wisconsin and Iowa every year. They're going to be there. So that's the question with him. It's not whether he's improved this program because at Carp, I think there's no doubt he has. When I look at the roster, when I look at just uh, the coaches you are able to bring in with him, I think he's improved this program, but can he take it to that next level? That, that's what he's got to show. And, and he's been saying Carp, he's been telling us and you that this is the year where we take a huge step. This is my best team. And he believes it. Okay, go in eight or nine games and you could possibly blow the roof off this thing. As little as I'm excited about that compared to Illini basketball. And I say that right now because we're so far removed from whenever football will come back. I know when it does and they won a couple games in the non-conference. Okay, okay. Well, of course I'm back on board, right? You but, need to be five and one. You need to be five and one. With you this. do with that schedule. And it is front loaded where you had the opportunity to do that. Uh, you know, and that's the crazy thing is I, I enjoy having conversations like this because I think for what you guys are doing on a daily basis or even what I'm doing twice a week, sports right now, it's just that light at the end of the tunnel. So whenever it does come back, it's just enough knowing that it will Sometimes they'll get me through baseball. It could be a totally bastardized season in Arizona playing seven inning doubleheaders at where the Diamondbacks play in all the spring. I don't care, you know, as long as it's safe, of course. But, you know, for me, it's just that light at the end of the tunnel. And it feels like that's what a lot of the conversation is going to be for the next, well, months. Yeah, it's all about roster building for Illinois, right? Because we don't have spring ball. We're not seeing these guys and how they're developing. It's, uh, you know, I'm going to talk with Luke Ford here in a couple of days because I know fans want to hear from him. I talked to Marquez Beeson because fans are dreaming of what he could look like when he gets on the field. So it's more of that. It's it's more of, you know, breaking that down. But I, I also think it's almost a moment of reflection, Carp, that this was a pretty dang good year for Josh Whitman. Yeah. Right? I, 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 think, I think back to this year. You know, you got to a bowl game. Now, you didn't end the year you want, the way you wanted to, but if I would have told you before the year, they go six and seven and lose the Red Box Bowl to California. I'll okay, I'll, I'll sign that. Um, and you obviously saw some fantastic wins, some of the most memorable Illinois football games you've seen in a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then the basketball season was everything you wanted it to be. And, you know, hockey seems like it, it was uh, before all this happened right around the corner. So, you know, he said we will win. And I think it was getting to the point, you know, going into this year when yeah. and <laughs> they, they, they started to. And he told us it was going to take a while. And uh, I think he's I think he's one of the best ADs in the Big Ten. Um, I really do. I, I just think he's got great vision. He gets people to buy into it. And you're starting finally starting to see the wins. I think some people needed to see that. Some people were asking me before the year carp, is he going to be in the hot seat no, after when no. I started to inform him? Hey, do you believe in him? Do you think he's capable? Do you think he's smart? Um, you're going to miss on some hires, right? And he hasn't, you know, done that quite yet. But um, you got if you believe in that guy, and I can tell you everybody around that program, all the donors, they they believe in him. And I do. I mean, just talking to the guy as much as I have and and seeing the results that he's gotten with all these new you know facilities finally getting some wins and just how much he invests in this program the way he's been able to find money to invest in it, it's pretty impressive you know when i think about josh whitman i i like him too and what what separates him from mike thomas is that mike thomas when he hired let's say a john gross 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in hindsight, I could not have gotten that angry about him because I'm sort of like the higher two. And if he would have gotten even a Quentin Snyder or something like that, the whole trajectory could have changed for a guy like John Gross. But it was the fact that everything else that Mike Thomas did and the way that he interacted with people, he didn't get the benefit of the doubt. Whereas you have Whitman, obviously a great, great communicator, and then you have the facilities which are just, you know, exploding at this crazy rate despite the fact that he's we are still in sort of rebuilding mode as an athletic program so i do like all of that and part i say the communication this is where the fanboy part comes in is that when things aren't going well and let's say he writes a letter to the fan base i'm like i don't want to hear it right now but then i'm like well wait a second this is the same thing that i would have criticized ron gunther for never ever ever doing so that that seems a little bit unfair on my part when i get in that trap yeah, well, when you're losing, you don't want to hear anything, no. right? You don't want to hear about an Ireland game. Nothing right? helps, I, right? Yes. I totally, yeah. totally understand that. Um, but he does have, like, I think you and I thought getting somebody outside the East Central Illinois bubble was smart, right? On paper, I thought it made smart for Hogan to go hire mm-hmm. um, somebody like Mike Thomas. But it ended up just being the way too much to that side. I think Josh Whitman was kind of the equilibrium of those two former athletic directors and that Gunther had such passion for this university, but you didn't hear from him enough, but he, he knew what it meant to be an Illini and everything that went into Illinois. He knew the history here. He knew what people thought here. Mike Thomas was kind of this, you know, hired gun um, that had 21st century ideas, but didn't have the relationships to pull this off. And I think he tried to over communicate the fact that he went on radio every week when there was nothing to say what, yeah. When Whitman talks, man, like he's got a message and yes, it's rehearsed, but it's well thought out. It's passionate. It's intelligent and it fires people up. So whenever he comes out and has some kind of public statement, whether it's um, through his basement, whether it's some letter he writes or whether it's coming on a radio show like mine, um, he, he gives his message and he's pretty blunt about it. I don't think he tries to hide much. He tries to let the fans in on the experience. So uh, I think that's resonated, obviously, with, with donors. Um, it, it's resonated with most fans, but it's really resonated with donors. And, and it resonates with coaches. The fact that no matter what you think of Lovey Smith to that point, to this point, he could go hire Lovey Smith. Um, Lovey could have sat on the beach for two years, right? And made $10 million. Um, the fact that he was able to convince Brad Underwood to leave Oklahoma State after one year, uh, that's pretty impressive. And even Nancy Faye, I know she's 4-48, all right? But – Nancy Faye had a great thing going there, and Whitman convinced her. I I think that's pretty impressive. Yeah, I did not consider when Mike Thomas was hired the importance of the AD being liked by donors and the people, you know, the people of influence. It's a politician and role, right? It totally I mean, you, is. You can imagine Josh Whitman winning an election and winning independence, right? Like, yeah, absolutely, I, yeah. Mike Thomas, I, I don't. <laughs> no. I just don't. Like, Gunther was the machine candidate, right? Like, he's just part of the machine. Yeah. He's been yeah. part of that for a long time. While Mike Thomas was just kind of like thrust in front of us and said, This is your candidate. We're like, Wait, why? No. No. What's just, he believing in, man? Okay, Jay and Tay. Uh, still one of my favorite sound bits ever. Uh, before I let you go, so uh, outside of sports, this is ample time to focus on music and movies now i understand i've yet to see it myself though i love pixar movies onward was a is it worth watch i don't have it you mentioned the brotherly relationship yeah. aspect to it which i don't have a brother so that would maybe be one missing link for me but worth seeing for a pixar I, movie I, 
I called it a mix of Frozen because it's got the sibling relationship, mm-hmm. right? Sure, you got a niece and nephew. I'm sure you've seen Frozen, have you? I have not yet. Okay. I got it, two nieces not, that love it, but... It's overrated. Okay. Uh, there's good music in it. The story, not so great. Like Onward's story, in my opinion, is a little bit better than that. But it's kind of like Lord of the Rings, Frozen, and Weekend at Bernie's put hmm. together. The Weekend at Bernie's but, part. And I remember seeing the previous thinking, there's a dead guy in this, right? Yes. Yeah. There's a okay. dead guy that kind of walks around not knowing where he's going. Um, but yeah, I, I thought it was really good. I, it's not one of the top Pixar movies, but I think it's it's a well done, fun movie. Like for me, Wally Up uh, are, are at the top. Inside Out. Um, is Inside Out. Coco's really good. And Toy Story, of course, is really good. But um, I would put it in the realm of like The Incredibles, where it's no, not that's the top movie, but it's really entertaining. And as a brother, um, yeah, the the ending, yeah, it got me. I looked at my wife and said, that right feels. So no, it, it was really good. But that's that's kind of what my watching habits now are, Carp. Mm-hmm. Is I know everybody watches Pixar movies, but it's sneaking in whatever good movies I can with the kids. Which Disney Plus is a godsend for that. And we, you know, we've been watching a lot of TV, which we probably would be doing that anyways. But now that there aren't sports, are there are there TV shows you're binging, or is it mostly like a movie here, a movie there? Carp, I, it totally passed passed me up. I don't know why that Saul was on again. Oh, it's and terrific. I, I've been hearing great and I, I totally missed it. So I have to go back and go to AMC and record all of them or find a way to stream them all. But uh, I've missed on those. I went back and watched Newsroom. I, I was feeling like I needed Will McAvoy in my life card right now. <laughs> Just a straight talker. Um, and I always wondered, man, if Newsroom came back to like for like next year and covered and did like a reenactment of what it was like to cover this right now. What would that have looked like? Or while the election cycle is going on, I just, I was, I was in my mind of like, what would Will McAvoy be doing right now? So I kind of went back and, and season one is great. Season two and season three are all right. But uh, season one's some of my favorite television. So that's all I've gone back. I, I actually canceled Netflix. Oh, wow. Like okay. Three months ago. Cause Carp, like I, there was nothing I wanted to watch on there, but now Tiger King came out. Ozark is like the most popular show right now. So I feel like I have to go back and watch those. Ozark's very good. Tiger King is one of the most entertaining things I've ever seen. Uh, we're about a season into Ozark. But out of all the things we've watched, and we were watching this in February before any of this hit, was Friday Night Lights. Oh. is immediately top five show that I've seen. Yeah. And it doesn't feel like a network produced show. It's something that you would have gotten on Netflix before it's time. It feels like like there's the OC element to it, Carp, where it's like this high school drama where you kind of get it's. There's a little hint of like this is kind of trash teenage drama, but it's also like the OC. What I loved about it was the parents were so good in it, uh, the actors were so good in it, um, but there was like a seriousness of it. There was a rawness of Friday Night Lights that I, I loved compared to to kind of the OC. But I, I mean, I, I think the acting's well done. The screenplays are phenomenal, and. I just don't know a franchise that's had a successful run as Friday Night Lights where you can have book, TV show, and movie all be well done like that. And and the, they're, I've told you this before, but the reset of characters on that show, I've, I've never seen a show be able to do it quite like that. Yeah, that guys like Smash were there for the first two seasons, and that's it. I love Smash. I mean, Austin named his dog Riggins. So that tells you what you need <laughs> to know about Friday Night Lights. Uh, and then there, one last thing about music, because there was a thing going on. There's a lot of pick three. So there's all these images in pick three. And there was one with 90s grunge alternative rock. And I believe it was Soundgarden. Let's see. Allison Chains, Nirvana, Green Day, 
Pearl Jam. The one that I would have picked in this that not many people were, I love Weezer's Blue album. I didn't Great. see a lot of love for that. But is that my, my name is Jonas and Say It Ain't So and all that? Yeah, Undone, The Sweater Song, Buddy Holly, all that. But out of those nine, and I forget which three you picked, but I'm pretty sure Soundgarden was one, for sure. Uh, Soundgarden was actually my runner-up. Oh, so wow. I, I actually went with like, you know me, Cart, like, I like mainstream stuff. Like I, I kind of like mainstream rock. Like I feel like there's kind of a backlash now against Nirvana, like because they're so popular at this point. A little bit. But there's a reason they're, they're popular. I mean, they they changed the game. They I mean, what I love about Kurt Cobain is that he wrote I mean, simple stuff, but it was hard and raw, but also really melodic i love melodic rock with a little bit of edge to it Mm -hmm. so those guys to me and there always seems to be like a nirvana versus pearl jam thing but pearl jam's 10 album is is ridiculous so i picked that one and then i I went with green day dookie just because i think it's it's one of the best pop punk albums and as a guy growing up in the early 2000s green day kind of set the stage for bands like blink 182 and newfound glory and uh, a lot of those bands got me into rock music because uh, I was more into, you know, when we were in what late elementary school, early middle school carpet, it was all pop was ridiculous at that point with all the boy bands and Britney Spears. But then there was like this rap with Nelly and all those guys. But then there was this pop punk element that kind of was the bridge for me to get into like harder rock. Like yeah. Like Park Disturbed and all that new metal kind of stuff that I got into. Um, so I always liked Green Day because it was kind of led in to that. But man, late 90s rock, that's. That's that's right in my wheelhouse. Yeah, the limb, are we talking like Limp Biscuit even? Oh, Limp Biscuit was great, man. I, I don't I think, disagree. People like I think people because Limp Biscuit you can't take that seriously, but it was fun. It was a lot of fun. Right? Break stuff and Nookie and um, you know Chocolate Starfish was such a <laughs> stupid album, but there were some there were some uh, kids called bangers on that. Oh, album, totally. Right? And uh, you know their guitar, the riffs were simple but great um i i liked some of that just simplicity about that all and it was, it was kind of a crazy time to be around but it was it was a lot of fun i liked it the other casualty other than sporting events is in terms of like mass gatherings because the the sports will start the mass gatherings will not and of course another casualty of that is concerts so my two yeah yeah so we, there was already a rage uh, against the machine concert oh. postponed in st louis and then alpine valley that's coming up but yeah, that back to this idea light at the end of the tunnel it could they could just announce a date in 2021 and as long as i know it's there i'm good yeah. um but it is it certainly i mean god i feel like a, a record saying this unprecedented times but uh, it does feel like uh you know all i need now i don't need the mass gatherings i just need like a cookout in someone's backyard that's all i need yeah no no me and my friends carp it's actually it's weird because we've actually been in contact more now absolutely um, Every Friday night, we're doing like a happy hour. When we put our kids to bed, most of us have kids now. Uh, we get on here and we drink a couple beers and we go through like two of the free cycles of Zoom. So like you know, forty minutes, forty <laughs> minutes, and we do that. And it's it's been great. We've been, we've been keeping in touch with them. But yes, I would like to go see them and do a cookout and you know just do those things that we we kind of took for granted. I want to ask you though, uh, have you ever seen Rage? Have you ever seen them? Yeah, before? back in 07, they performed at Alpine Valley, and it was Queens of the Stone Age opening. And the oh. same weekend, it was a Friday night rage, Saturday, Sunday, Dave. One, two, three. I've never been more exhausted <laughs> after a weekend. 
And not only that, they had had record rainfall in the month of July. So the entire Alpine Valley lawn, which have you ever been to Alpine? I've been there to ski. I've never been there to see a show. Very steep lawn. And this yeah, thing yeah. was a mud bowl. It was a total mud bowl. So during the raid show, you have people sliding into each other in the lawn. You have the lawn charging into the pavilion. And then by the end of the show, there are rows uprooted, like entire rows of seats uprooted and then passed down into the pit. So the next day when I went there for Dave, I was talking to a security guard and he said, this place has never been a disaster like this. And I said, well, <laughs> Rage Against the Machine, man. And they welcomed him back for another one. So yeah. we'll see it eventually. I, I love the line you used to say as a sports fan, especially as an Atlanta fan in the mid-2010s. You used to say that uh, going to a concert is like going to a sporting event where your team always wins. That was my dad's right? line. Yeah, because yeah, okay. he, he said that at a Dave tailgate. We're just sitting out there and it's like we'd be doing the same thing before an Illinois football game. But you didn't know when you walked out if you were going to be satisfied. So to me, yeah, listen, sporting events, I, I love them. The Illinois-Iowa game was such a shot of adrenaline for me because I have not felt that way at an Illini basketball game probably since the mid-2000s. I felt like a kid again. I mean, I had just, you know, fire-breathing, profanity-laced, like, grr, you know, and everybody else around us did too, and it was amazing. But with concerts, I get that drip every time, what, that euphoric drip. What, what was the most disappointed you've been in somebody? Like at a concert? Yeah, like live. Oh, wow. I was very underwhelmed with the last U2 show I saw, but I had also seen them so many times from 2015 to 2018, so there was a bit of burnout. There's right. been some Dave shows that haven't been great relative to what they can do. Yeah. Uh, but I think know, especially as they get, they get a little older, the, the singer doesn't sound as well, and why would he? Right. Yeah, but you know, to that point, we saw Paul McCartney last summer, and his voice isn't what it was, but it was right. one of the most amazing concert experiences ever. It was up at Lambeau. And then some of the best ones are the unexpected. So I saw the darkness uh, the, <laughs> Yeah, at the Metro in Chicago. <laughs> Unbelievable two-hour show in front of 800 people, and I, that will always stick with me. So um, yeah, for disappointing, though, that's the thing. It's such a short list that it, I had a right. harder time thinking of concert disappointments. And then if you said sports disappointments, I got a novel. I mean, I'm ready to go. Was Rage one of the craziest crowds you've seen? Like, you know, mosh pits oh, and all that? I've never felt scared at a concert until that. And it was the fact that you were always being pushed. You had no traction on the mud. Uh, we had tailgated a little too hard for a rage show. You got you to gotta be in full control of your faculties at one of those things. And at the end of it, we get back up to our car and sure enough, get stuck. Thousands of cars had to get towed out. So we had to wait for another three hours. That was, for me, this summer was going to like a redo. It was a redo with no mud, and I was going to be in full control of my situation and uh, for two shows. But they'll be back because they got they can't turn that money down. You're going to see concerts postponed, not canceled. They aren't going to give that money up. Right. Yeah, I think um, the craziest one I went to, Lincoln Park did this, uh, what was it? Some tour where they tried to get like every kind of band or act together. Like So, you know, they, they're a blend of a lot of different kinds mm -hmm. of music. Right? So they had... Lincoln Park was the headliner with Corn, oh. and Corn was awesome. Yeah. Like they, they were so good. Live. That was the craziest moshing I've seen, and it was a lot of the women were just nuts. Like they were mean, they were really physical, and you had to look out for them. But Snoop Dogg was there, man. Um, Not the good. Used, uh, Snoop was fine. Was fine. It was, okay. but it was, 
the funniest part was like his hype man it was like the most like, <laughs> like that kind of concert it was just like you're not gonna like bang your head or anything no no, no no it was just kind of funny that he was there but it was like the used was there which is like this emo band um this had a bunch of different ones it was the craziest show i've been to but i think corn was like the craziest mosh but they were one of the best bands I've, I've ever seen live like you said it was i wasn't there to see them i liked some of their songs but um they were one of the best live bands i've seen well and that's kind of how i got into queens of the stone age because i knew no one knows they they ended their set with that opening up for rage didn't really recognize the other stuff but when i when they got done i said i gotta download their stuff and i did and became a huge fan of theirs uh well i'm guessing that as we sit here it's two o'clock on a wednesday afternoon i'll have this up on thursday but that we're all just kind of waiting for IO news. I got to be honest. I'm waiting for IO news to come yeah. down the pike. Yeah. I have no idea. Um, you know, he is very, it's almost Whitman like calculated mm. with, with what he does and how he does it. Um, I, I think his plan all along was carp and, and going into the big 10 tournament, right. He'd played well enough to where he was going to go. And he had, I don't know how much he has to gain still by coming back. Like, is Iowa really going to help his stock? Like, I always feel like people think, yeah, you come back, you can go from second rounder to first rounder. A lot of times that's not the case. Like, I don't think Iowa helped his draft pick status this year. As weird as that is, I think last year if he would have went, could have gone like 46th or 47th. This year, is he going to get taken? I I, I don't know. I, I would. I would take him higher than I would have last year. But I see him every day, and, and I think highly of him. Uh, but most of the feedback, you see some of these experts that talk with these NBA scouts, especially the ESPN guys, have them not even taken. Um, so I think he's getting as much information as possible. He'll make a wise decision. Uh, but I also think with the uncertainty of, hey, if, it, if I don't get drafted and I don't get a guaranteed contract, man, I don't know when I'll make money, right? When I can just come back to school. Um, I can make sure I have another year here and then I can go into a more certain situation after my junior year, but you know, that's possibly losing a year of money-making ability. There, there's a lot that goes into a decision more than fans think of just coming back and having a good college year. Cause this kid saw his career flash before his eyes, at Michigan state. Right. And uh, I think he wants to go make money if he can, but he's not guaranteed to right now. So that, that's gotta be a weird situation, but you know, he's got what 11 more days. To, to announce whether he even declares for the draft. I'm surprised he hasn't done that. Like, I, I think we all thought he would declare, go test the waters, however that looks this year, uh, and then figure out if he'll get drafted. And we don't know if the draft's going to be till like September. So that, that could be a tough spot for Illinois to be in, but he would have to withdraw by, by some certain date. Um, right now it's June 3rd, but I'm surprised he hasn't done that. And that makes me think, Carp, that going into the offseason, I would have said, two out of 10 that he's likely coming back. Now I'm starting to be, is this 50, 50? Is it more than 50, 50? Because I figure we would at least heard from that. Hey, I'm putting my name in. I'll, I'll see the feedback I can get. It's a true situation where if he made a T chart with pros and cons, he'd probably have equal number of things on both sides, just given the circumstances. And you mentioned guys coming back that don't need to Frank Williams. If he leaves after his sophomore year, probably borderline lottery top 20 pick instead i think he was 32nd or i mean late 20s went to the knicks didn't stick and i look at iowa another thing that i don't think he would have considered necessarily international play but think of the uncertainty with international basketball where can he travel and i got to think that would become a factor for kofi too if he continues to not appear on draft boards 
Yeah, I, I think Kofi should come back to me. I, I, there's no question for me. Uh, I think he can be undrafted this year. I think he's likely to be undrafted this year. Maybe somebody takes him as a lottery ticket, but I don't think he's getting a guaranteed contract. If he comes back next year, I don't know if he's a first-round pick, but I think he will be drafted. And I think he's going to be one of the best players in the NCAA. Uh, and I think being on the stage at Illinois, being a possible Big Ten player of the year, I think there's a lot of value in that. And just developing. I, I think developing and getting the reps uh, at the college level, I, I think could be good for him. I still don't know how much Iowa would gain, but it's just the uncertainty of everything, I think, has is, is left the door open for a return, which, you know, he, he would go down if, if he comes back um, and he stays healthy. He's going to go down as one of the absolute legends of Illinois basketball. I mean, you talked about Frank Williams. He'll be in that category, most likely. Yeah, even if we don't know when the season will start, just knowing Iowa would come back would be enough for me and probably a lot of other Illini fans, too. Well, Jerry, thanks for your time. We went for about an hour there. Not bad. Yeah. I got. I don't have a lot going on. Yeah, yeah, me neither. I'm gonna go get cleaned up, and I don't know. I, what I have been playing is Fox Sports College Hoops for N64, yeah. 1999. With uh, all the likenesses are different. So Corey Bradford's a little white shooting guard named Brewback with a great three point stroke, and uh, I got my season going on with that. And MVP Baseball 2001. Right. Are, are you running like marathons right now? No, I'm just running every day. So not maybe as long as I used to, but I, it's one of those things where I keep from going stir crazy if I get outside once a day. And after this cold streak, I'm going to be finding yard projects and just things where I'm outside hours a day. Do you run no matter the weather? Do you go outside and run? Because I am so influenced car by the weather. If it's, <laughs> if it's 30 degrees, I ain't running. If it's 15 mile an hour winds, which is often around here, I just have a hard time. Um, and if it's like over... 75 80 degrees it's very hard so i have this sweet spot of running and i was like last couple of weeks going outside and running a lot but uh yeah this week probably not been staying inside doing some inside workshops. if it is icy i will go to the cranert parking garage so i can instead of a treadmill i can't do a treadmill i i will run around the two deck underground parking garage same goes wow. if it's exceedingly cold so if the wind chills like negative 10 i know that cranert would be like five degrees above zero or something so that that's manageable but uh the wind you just got to plan that run to minimize the time running into the wind so today came out of the west which it often does i do more north south if the wind right. is crazy but it's it's that time of year though when we get out of this little cold crap we're in because you guys got more snow than we did today yeah. i'm guessing now i woke up and my son was saying snow let's watch frosty uh, no <laughs> no <laughs> okay i guess but it's nuts. We had uh, about an inch on the ground. I feel like it's all gone now, though. Well, Jeremy, appreciate it. Thanks for uh, hopping on. Thanks for being partners of the 200 level. And uh, we will be, what I appreciate with what you guys are doing over there, you, Derek, uh, Gavin, Alana Inquirer, you're, it's not like you're, you know, conjuring things up out of left field. I mean, you're still providing content. And right now, more than ever, when it comes to recruiting, when it comes to just the uncertainty with personnel, there's still plenty of fodder to talk about and to write about. So uh, it, it's, it is must-follow stuff over at Line Inquirer, and especially this next two, three-week stretch, I'm guessing some big news will come down, too. Yeah, I mean, all the basketball stuff going on. Uh, again, I should be talking with Whitman here very soon. going to be interesting to see what he says. I, I, you know, from my perspective, Carp, I, I just – how do you operate, right? I mean, the financial windfall of all of this could be uh, very interesting for them. But, yeah, I mean, football's trying to put together the final piece of the 20. 20- 20 roster um you know 2021 class are trying to get going uh, we'll see if they can do that but uh yeah there's still plenty of stuff and we hope we every day we provide people just something to 
to read about and something to give them hope, as you said, light at the end of the tunnel, because sports will be back at some point, whether you can actually attend the event or not coming up this fall, uh, but they will be back and uh, we'll get you ready for it. Awesome. And the last dance on Sunday night. So we got that for the next five weeks. What are you most looking forward to? Because Carp, like that was an age where we digested so much. I watched all the games, but I didn't like read all the newspaper coverage. You know, I didn't, dive into that i wasn't at that point i just watched the games love michael jordan loved it all and loved that team but i don't know if i dove into them like as nitty-gritty obviously as we do sports now so i'm actually looking forward to more of the behind stories of the intricacies of that because i didn't dive into that when i was eight nine ten years old i i'm excited for the behind the scenes thing most of all but also the fact that jordan i guess they spoke with for an eight hour full session for one day. And I guess in the first two episodes, I think Richard Roper or maybe Rick Tellender had written about this. He talks about Isaiah and he minces no words. So knowing the competitor he is and knowing that the Hall of Fame speech is probably a little taste of how much of a bitter old bastard he is, but that's okay. It's Jordan. You can do it. And to me, that's going to be compelling. And knowing that with as much time has been removed uh, since they were together in 1998, that a Phil Jackson and even a Scottie Pippen, you know, those guys back then, what I do remember is watching post games on sports channel or whatever yeah. with, uh, you know, Norm Van Leer and whoever Tom the other Dorr. <laughs> Tom Dore and Johnny Redker. And that when they would go into the locker rooms, they were all very polished. Even at a young age, I was like, man, Michael Jordan never says anything wrong, you know, but well, now he gets to say whatever he wants. And you're right. It feels like for the last 20 years, Everyone else has told his story. We only got the glimpse at the Hall of Fame speech, which was so great. It was mm-hmm. so much. But now to hear him say it in hindsight, um, you're right. If you don't have Jordan, this this thing isn't going to be good. Like or It's not going to live up to what it should be. The fact that Jordan's like the central piece of this, they got him for eight hours. I can't wait for that. And I'm excited because knowing my sixth graders and how much they love the NBA. I mean, the NBA is the coolest thing for middle school kids. And really probably for that generation, the NBA has done such a good job marketing. But for them, Michael Jordan's like Babe Ruth. You know, I mean, they didn't watch him. He's a ghost. Right. And that for these younger kids with no sports on, they're going to be watching this and uh, they will get a taste of the aura that that guy had. It'll shape their opinions of them. Because mm-hmm. for me, it, that was like Montana. I didn't see the best of Montana. Same I didn't yeah. see the best of Magic and, and Bird. So like watching uh, ESPN Classic is where I took away from that. Like they had so many Lakers-Celtics games. Um, but this will probably shape exactly what they think of, of, of Michael Jordan. So, yeah, that'll be really interesting to see. Because, like even like the Ric Flair documentary cart. It was great. Like, Ric Flair feels more popular now than he was when he was actually wrestling. Definitely. He's that mythos has kind of built around him since that documentary. And what I saw today, too, is that ESPN is going to air the unedited version. And if you don't want the F-bombs, turn to ESPN, too. I didn't know they were going to have F-bombs in this thing. So I'm thinking, how uncensored, uncut is this thing? And knowing the characters that are in it, that this is going to have some revelations beyond just the usual kind of folk tales about that team. I hope Jordan is most of them, not just like Oakley and Rodman, right? Like, sure <laughs> or even like Phil Jackson drops a couple of those. I mean, things. you know, Rodman is, and I'm guessing a guy, I, I'm, I can tell you, Steve Kerr, probably not. I don't see that. Um, I, I wish, I, I wish Jerry Krause were alive. Yep. That they can talk to him because that guy kind of gets a bad rap, but boy, 
Jordan, even though he didn't like him, understandably, um, what a roster he put around him. I'm also multiple times. I'm excited to get the context too as to why in 1998 and certainly that Jazz series of. Who's to say the Bulls come back in 99 and they win it again? And that was a strike shortened. Well, maybe yeah. there was one of the year, but regardless, you know, that there was this certainty that this was it. And I'm, I'm excited to get the context as to what led into that 97, 98 season that made everybody sure that this is it, guys. This is we aren't going any further than this. Yeah, I am, too. But I think it was mostly Phil Krause. Yes, those, that was the big dynamic. Jordan didn't want to play without Phil and I think Kraus kind of knew it was going to be done anyway, and he kind of wanted to start his own thing, right? So he wanted to do it himself and be the genius and get all the credit for it. And it's just egos at some point, right? Just like the Beatles, just like everybody else. That's what's amazing about how long it stayed together, right? The fact that Pippen was able to stay with Jordan that long and not be worn down by it. And how, <laughs> and how close Pippen was to being traded for Sean Kemp, Sean Kemp. in 95, I think, before the 95-96 season. Well, and maybe Jordan's retirement in, in hindsight taught Pippen that, yeah, I'm not that guy. <laughs> like, I, I need him to, to win a championship, even though I'm a great player who led him to the playoffs and should have beat, could have beat the Knicks to get to the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that might have showed him, like, yeah, I'm, I'm the, I'm great for Michael, but Michael is, is great for me. Too. Best six foot eight point guard that ever played the game. <laughs> I watching those old games. I'm just struck by how tall that team was, how good Ron Harper was not a great offensive player for some reason with the bulls, but for a six, seven point guard that played great defense. They, and that was the thing as good offensively as they could be defensively. They were brutal. They were just yeah mall opposing teams and it's a different brand of basketball that it's easy to romanticize given how sort of three-point oriented basketball is now it was the ugly era of basketball right it was you know late 80s into the 90s it was you know a lot of 80 point games i remember what was it the utah jazz uh bowls game was like in the 60s there was, uh, was one where a team scored 68 points i forget what the final was of, of that game but grotesque yeah. right but it was it was physical and Listen, I don't agree with all the old heads who said these guys can't play. I don't think a lot of those guys could have played in this league, mm -hmm. right? It's just, it's different. They're different eras, just like baseball, football, all of it. But uh, yeah, it, it's different, but it, it was still great. And, and Jordan is, is the centerpiece of it all. I saw Chris Gatling for the Miami Heat, and I thought, how did this guy play in the NBA? He's just a dude. Chris Gatling, like PJ Brown, <laughs> Anthony Mason. <laughs> You know, Dale Davis and Antonio, Dale, those they guys okay. terrified me. Yeah. They terrified me. That, that Pacers team in, in 98 car felt like the first time we were going to lose a series. They Rick Smith, uh, Reggie Miller, Mark Jackson, I think was still the point guard for that team. Jalen was on that team. Mm -hmm. Travis Best, they were they, they were, were stacked. Thought, they were stacked. I thought Jordan was finally going to lose one. And we'll we'll get all of that in this. We'll get everything yeah. about that Eastern Conference Finals, which is one of the better ones. Uh, I mean, going seven was scary, but that I think the Pacers made it in 2000 only to lose to the lakers they made one yeah no i think that's right the sixers well no i don't think they did because they lost to the knicks right when the knicks were an eighth seed was that right let's see pacers nba finals i feel like they made no. one late in reggie's career because i thought the first lakers series was against um yeah i thought it was against the sixers and then i thought they beat the Nets and did the Nets go back to back. So here's what here's what it was. Ninety nine would have been the strike shortened year with Knicks Spurs. Right. Two thousand was Pacers Lakers. Lakers okay. won four to two. Two thousand one was the Allen Iverson. They won game one. 
I think yeah. in Los Angeles, they won game one with Eric Snow yeah. at point guard. And uh, Didn't he step over Tyron Lue in that one? Yes. Iverson? Yes. Oh, great. And that was a great game. And he thought, oh my God, they might actually have a chance. Of course they didn't, but Allen Iverson was just unconscious that series. It was like Derrick Rose and the Bulls beating the Miami Heat in game one of these. Yeah. Like, we can God, do this. this. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right, man. Well, hey, I appreciate the time. Uh, we'll be listening. Uh, keep the fact you guys do it daily. I mean, I have fun doing this twice a week, but. Uh, you know, keep providing the content and Austin's doing a hell of a job too. Production. Oh, yeah. I, was, I, I wanted to give a shout out to him. Austin's been awesome with, with booking this. I got to give a story. Like, he said, should I try and get Brad Underwood? And I go, you know, we've had him on a couple of times and you know, I don't want to wear it out. And I go, you know what, Austin, don't listen to me. Go for it. And he got him right yeah. away. So, and he's been, he's been shooting his shots and getting some really, really good guests. And that's been fantastic. We are a little more guest heavy, but um, you know, cause there's not a lot going on, but I was, try to find some unique angles like today we talked xfl with michelle Salman. Spalman. i thought it was yeah, a great conversation yeah. well i mean help, get- you had bruce weber say thank you that was the first thing he said to you <laughs> yeah I, I didn't want to make that like you know some people it was totally a softball interview but it was oh, day, well, it should be the 05 team but you know i did 15 years later i didn't feel like i need to interrogate no. bruce weber about his recruiting habits <laughs> You, you talk about the 05 team, you're like, so let's go back to the night that Jamar Smith crashed the car. Uh, <laughs> what were your thoughts, Bruce? Uh, and that would be the absolute worst talk about when Jamar Smith, that would be the worst talk about question of all time. You know, like Jamar, though, is one of those guys, Carp. Um, if, if he would have just, like you said with Quentin Snyder, if Jamar would have not had that happen, Bruce Weber might have been different. And he was awesome. Jeremy Richmond. <laughs> I mean, yeah. the, the lot of what ifs, and they that's knew what they, were, they knew what they were getting into with him. <laughs> and and here's what I do like about Underwood to close this out is Alan Griffin transfers. That sucks, right? Yeah. But he did enough leading up to that, especially with the wing transfers. Which even if one of them hits or one and a half of them hit, you can match that production to some extent, and you should be okay. You can withstand it. When you were in the tail end of the Weber era, and for the most of the John Gross era, you just couldn't withstand losses like right. that. Yeah, you couldn't withstand losing Kendrick Nunn, right? Um, and expect to be an NCAA tournament team, and Malcolm Hill tried to will them to that. But, yeah, I, I think Brad Underwood set up, as, as we said before, no matter who leaves, who comes here, I think long-term this is this is really stable because he's got a plan, man. Um, and, and these sit-out transfers, I agree with him. If you can find them, uh, they're great. I don't know how long sit-out transfers will be a thing, but I, I do think those guys will be okay. They won't be as good as Allen, but it just – you go from – Allen to maybe those guys instead of going from Allen to nothing, right? So he's done a really good job of that. And then you go from Io, right, to, oh, now instead we got, instead of no point guards like Illinois fans are used to, oh, you got Trent Frazier only going to end up one of the top scorers in Illinois history. You got Andre Cabello coming in, uh, Adam Miller likely coming in, Austin Hutcherson. You're not going to replace Kofi, um, right? But it feels like you could recruit a guy in a year or two. Uh, who could be, you know, an NBA prospect as well. So I, I just think long-term they're set up well. No offense to Mod Starks, but going from Io to uh, Andre Curbelo, that's a far cry from the point guard situation he had just four or five years ago, which a point guard in this game, you got that. That's why Curbelo excites me probably more than any line I recruit in a long time. All right, Jeremy Warner Show, 9 to 11, Monday through Fridays on ESPN 93.5, WSJK, and also IlaniInquirer.com. Uh, they're staying busy. They're uh, keeping their finger on the pulse, and there's still plenty of news to come up these, well, let's be honest, next few months. So, Jeremy, thanks a bunch. We'll be in touch. Thanks, Carp. Appreciate it, man. We'll see you, man. Take care. All right, so that was Jeremy on the show, and that was recorded on Wednesday afternoon. 
So, of course, the Iowa Desumu news had not quite come out yet. And that changes a few things. But as you listen to a lot of the roster and personnel things that we talked about were either or. Maybe Iowa comes back. Maybe he doesn't. Now, certainly not 100% that he doesn't come back, even though his wording was very indicative that he is going to the NBA, period. But I think the conversation holds up regardless. And for me, the big thing with it, just like when I talk with Harry or Trevor, and then when I get Lon on in the future, hopefully Brightweiser as well, and other people, it, just the conversational nature of it. And what it reminded me of is back at 93.5 when Jeremy would come down for the day. You know, He used to be in the office basically all day. He'd be in the studio and I would pop in for my office and we'd just go into conversations like the one that we had there. So great to catch up with Jeremy. We'll have him on intermittently throughout the year. And of course, when games get going again with this interview capability, we'll be able to have Jeremy on for reaction. We'll be able to have Harry on for football, uh, X's and O's sort of conversation. That's what I'm excited about with this new rig. We're still working out the kinks, the sound quality, pretty good, you know, pretty good, uh, but can't get better. So I'm working on that as well. All right, got to thank DP Doe online at dpdoe.com for all the best deals and prices and their full menu. They got custom zones where you can build your own with any topping that you want, and they have some of their favorites along with the Maui Wowie and the Buffer Zone. They just got to write up and smile politely, which is a local online magazine talking about just how delicious DP Doe is. I can agree with that, and they deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. So go online to dpdoe.com. That's dpdoe. Dot com. Also, 4th and Kirby, online at 4th and Kirby.com. Coupon code 200 level for 10% off your next order at 4th and Kirby.com. Also, Brian Hansen, your State Farm agent, online at BrianIsMyGuide.com. For all your insurance needs, BrianIsMyGuide.com. Got to thank Alana Inquirer and, of course, Jeremy for hopping on this podcast and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network online or on Twitter, I should say, at 217 Showers. We will be back next Monday. Hopefully, get the episode out around lunchtime time or so, where Harry and I believe Trevor, as long as we can get the technology figured out, will be reacting to the first two episodes of The Last Dance, 10-part documentary airing this Sunday. We don't have live sports, so a 10-part Michael Jordan Bulls documentary will have to do. I'm excited for it, and the early reviews are raving about this thing. So we will have that on Monday. In the meantime, have a great Thursday, Friday, and weekend. It is going to get warmer. It is going to get sunny. Grill out. Get outside. Keep your social distancing, of course, and we'll see you next Monday. It is the 200 level.